HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Aki Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, yuame, nisakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Jamie Ryder, who is a certified sake sommelier as well as a Japanese culture enthusiast. Also, Jamie publishes a Japanese culture-themed magazine called Yamato Magazine, which explores Japanese culture from a variety of angles. And we have had many guests in the past talking about Japanese food scenes in the biggest cities in the world, such as Tokyo, LA, London, and Paris, but we don't know too much about how Japanese food is gaining interest in other cities. And Jamie is based in Manchester, UK. Manchester is still a big city, the sixth largest in the UK, but by no means not the same as the metropolis like London. In other words, it's a great example to see what is happening with Japanese food culture in smaller cities. So today we'll discuss how Jamie got into Japanese culture, what is happening with Japanese culture outside Metropolis, how Jamie gained knowledge of sake and got certified as a sake sommelier in Manchester, what should happen for Japanese sake to be enjoyed more outside global cities, and much, much more. But before you start, Japan is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japan Eats. And please write over you. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, um, I have a quick announcement. And there is an upcoming live webinar organized by Japan Society in New York on Wednesday, December the 7th. And the title is Seasonality, Superfoods, and Other Secrets of Japanese Cuisine. And I'll be moderating the discussion between two Japanese food experts, uh, Yumi Komatsudaira 
the author of Japanese Superfoods, Learned the Secrets of Healthy Eating and Longevity and the Japanese Way. And Nancy Singleton Hachisu, author of Japanese Farm Food, Japan, The Cookbook, and other cookbooks. And uh, so she actually joined us a while ago on this show, and she's amazing too. And it will be a fun event to learn about Japanese traditional food culture that is even more important now to keep us healthy in the modern life. So thanks to Japan Society, tickets are free. So please go to japansociety.org and go to events and programming or calendar and to register. Again, the title is Seasonality, Superfruits, others, and Other Secrets of Japanese Cuisine on Wednesday, December the 7th. It's a live webinar. So I hope to see you there. Okay, now let's start a conversation with Jamie Ryder. Hello, Jamie. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Akiko. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've been listening for a while, and it's great to dive into the beauty of Japanese culture with you today. Thank you so much. And I'm enjoying your beautiful British accent as well. So <laughs> welcome to the show. Um, to get to know you, first of all, uh, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Always one of my favourite questions. So I am from Manchester in the northwest of England, and I will describe myself as a big foodie, but my food habits growing up were quite varied because on my mum's side, I'm Italian, and on my dad's side, I'm English, so quite a mixed food upbringing. So I'm always going to go into my wheelhouse and my comfort of pasta and pizza because that was very prominent on our dinner table when I was younger. Mm, right. Interesting. So and then how did you get into Japanese culture? Through many different rabbit holes, I'll say. But the beginning was from a very young age, I was fascinated with anime and cartoons and that really helped to me learn more about the culture on that really sort of basic level. I, I didn't really understand what was always going on, but the particular way the stories were told through the anime and the cartoons really resonated with me. Then when I got a bit older, I started learning more about the world and Japan for me was always this really romantic, faraway place that just seems so different from life in the UK and I should say I have never been to Japan yet but I always had the idea in the back of my mind if I can't go to Japan then I can bring it to me so I did that through discovering more about the history reading and then that eventually led me to do quite a bit of creative work around it which I'm still doing to this day. Mm, right. Um, yeah, I've been reading your uh, magazine, Yamato magazine. I've been really interested how um, personally you've been really analyzing and absorbing Japanese culture. So well, we'll talk about it in a second. But you know, I'm also always curious. I, I grew up in anime in Japan. You know, you know, the world of anime is just natural. But to your view, what is special? Like, you know, it's it's a uh, is that something like completely um outside this earth or how what's the impression of anime i can only come at this from like my interest in pop culture really because i'm a huge superhero fan and i think anime to me was perhaps the genesis of that so the first show that i ever really got into like that was dragon ball z because to me there was these larger than life characters who were in this very fantastical setting and by 
digging into a lot of different animes, I find that they always touch base on some really universal human concepts that I think resonate with people of all ages. And I think that was probably distilled into me at that very young age. And then by looking back at it all these years later, I can kind of understand the psychology of it now and how it really connects with people on from that younger demographic as well. Mm, interesting. Right. Okay, and then, uh, so you have a web magazine called Yamato Magazine, I just mentioned, uh, which you started about three years ago. And so I don't think we've been talking about how, you know, gradually you are gaining your knowledge and interest in Japanese culture. So what is Yamato Magazine and why did you start publishing it? For a multitude of reasons, but the main one to me was because it really helped with my development of the culture and... I come at it from quite a few different angles. So it's from the food and drink perspective. It's from mental health and philosophy as well, because I am a huge philosophy nerd and I really find the depth of the culture fascinating from that perspective in the sense that you've got all of these very simplistic sounding words, but even one word can have multiple meanings as well. And it's been such a joy to be able to write about these topics and break them down from more of the well-known aspects of the samurai culture and the the temple and the travel aspects, and then going at it from the food and the drink as well, which is where my interest in sake developed from as well through all of this creative work. Mm. Right, so uh, you have different pages, but uh, so what kind of um, articles were most popular in the past in the magazine? So this is really interesting. Um, it's quite varied, but I think still to this date, the most interesting or most engaged article is around uh, a gentleman who was a tattoo collector with the yakuza his name escapes me right now off the top of my head but to me that's just a very fascinating subject that when researching it i I tend to look at it from this more of a a quirky perspective but equally the poetry section is doing quite well through haikus and tankers and also the mental health orientated content as well particularly around certain concepts from Japanese culture that seem to have a lot of resonance in the West as well. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, just to mention quickly is that, you know, tattoo in Japan is really uh, something not like casual. <laughs> you can't wear tattoo to go to onsen because it's totally associated with Yakuza, um, which is very, very serious. And I think it's a big social issue and the Japanese police uh, having a hard time dealing with them too. So, yeah, so the uh, the tutu is really um, a big art too, as much as it's scary. And it's interesting that you wrote about it. Um, yeah, and also, um, yeah, I like this uh, tanka. Tanka is like a short, uh, it's kind of poetry. And I really enjoy reading those because it's really nice. Um quick but you get to the point um and i really suggest listeners to take a look and also you have like sake reviews and very different diverse content so uh how did you determine you just uh, decide you feel like writing it and then you just come up with something to interview or just write up Yeah, I come at it from a couple of different angles, really, because I have been writing since I was a kid, so I suppose it's like second nature to me in that respect. But 
I always think about how I can educate people through different lenses, really. And I'll take an example with the, the sake and the food stuff. I like to uh, compare that with pop culture as well. And a series that I've come up with is called Flights of Fantasy, where I focus on particular characters from fantasy fiction and can imagine what stuff they might drink in the sake or a shochu lens. And the psychology behind this for me is that it needs to resonate with the journey of those characters as well. They can't really be just chosen at random because uh, when I think of that, I think of like pairings on a traditional menu in a restaurant, really. There's always a story behind that. And I think there's something so powerful about trying to tell the stories of drinks through a character that is well-known in the public eye. And an example that comes to mind for that is uh, Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Uh, I wrote a series about different types of sake that she would drink, and that was well-received because from what I've heard from feedback as well, that seemed to be quite unique, and it just helps to introduce a different angle into the sake industry, but also make it fun for me at the same time. Mm, right. Yeah, I, I like your magazine because... Um... Like, like you said, it's a kind of woven uh, cultural um, place. And rather than just go try to find something about this type of sake, some more knowledge, but yours is more sort of, you, you find multi-different aspects of Japanese culture you probably didn't expect before visiting the website. So, yeah, great job. And I get congratulations. Thank you. That means a lot because to me, it's just trying to further as many different cultures as possible. I suppose that comes from the European background, really. I, I do like to thank my mum for giving me a more open-ended perspective of the world. <laughs> mm, right. All right. So uh, we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll discuss uh, how locally Japanese culture is spreading outside London. Uh, called Manchester, and how Jamie got certified as a sake sommelier outside of Metropolis. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. The knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Coin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table, so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Hi, I would like to make a toast. Imagine yourself setting the table in mouth-watering colors and wares, wearing that beautiful apron that flows like a gown, curating a playlist that evokes a loose, limber atmosphere so you can dance while you cook your way into a world of play and mischief, extending a warm welcome to your guests. Dear listeners of Japan Eats, 
I am Mariana Velázquez, author of Colombiana, the cookbook, and I live by the ritual of the table. And that's why I created a line of hosting wear, Casa Velázquez, as an extension of my life, extolling that sense of home, retiring any critique of the moment and fully embracing your cheeky, imperfect, unbridled self. Come with me to casavelasquez.co and reimagine your hosting essentials so we can set the tone for your table and home. Casa Velasquez is a mutual supporter of Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese on HRN, Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is Jamie Ryder, who is a certified sake sommelier as well as Japanese culture enthusiast based in Manchester, UK. So, uh, so as I said, you are based in Manchester, UK. So in our show, we tend to have guests from big cities like Tokyo, New York, London, Paris. But you told me there is a lot of interest in Japanese culture outside those obvious places. So, so first of all, how do you describe the city of Manchester to someone uh, who's never been there? Ah, uh, well, the easiest way to put that lens onto it is we have two of the most famous football or soccer teams in the world. You've got Manchester United and Manchester City, but you also have a really thriving music scene as well. Back in the early 90s, there was the concept of Manchester and bands like Stone Roses, Oasis, so a lot of creativity and the there's that idea of having Northern Soul as well that is indicative to the north of England as well. So there's a lot going on and there's just so much of a thriving cultural environment here in the city that I just love to share on a world scale. Mm. So do you think uh, it's really, um, you know, it's not a smaller city at all. It's more like uh, global-oriented, open-minded? Absolutely, because I think there's always the idea that outside of London, either Birmingham or Manchester is the second largest city in the country and certainly over the past 10 20 years just to take the food and the drink scene in the city it's just booming because you can throw a stone in the city and you could literally go anywhere over the world with the amount of soul and dedication that all these chefs and these bars are putting into trying to uplift the local community Mm, right. So um, it's like the food scene sounds like culturally diverse, as diverse as London. Um, but is there any, like, you know, definitely local food culture, like Manchester, unique food culture? I would say it comes down to certain areas of the city, really. An example that comes to mind is we have the second largest Chinatown area outside of London. And that's where you tend to get a lot of the sake scene located but you can also go further out into a place called the northern quarter which is to my mind like the the uh, camden town of london for example or it might be more of the quirky places in new york and again you get a lot of creativity going on there as well but in terms of wider japanese culture within the city a great festival that happens year to year is the doki doki festival and that is a great celebration of people from multiple angles that are interested in japanese culture and they just come together to share stories uplift the combination of the uk and the japanese connections together as well Mm, interesting yeah, is it an annual event? The Doki Doki is an annual festival? 
Yes, it is. And uh, it was really great for it to have come back earlier this year because obviously with the pandemic, things were just a crazy time. But we had a really great turnout and it's nice that it's a, a non-profit event as well. So all of the proceedings tend to go towards different charities that are focused on Japan. And you do get a lot of people who are just trying to share like great initiatives coming out of the country as well. Mm, right. Okay, so sounds like is it organized by a Japanese uh, associations or something like that? So it's mostly organized by English people at the moment, but you do get a lot of Japanese organizations coming on board. So one that comes to mind is Aid for Japan, which of course helps with the earthquake and the tsunami proceedings. That is just good to have people coming back to that every time. Mm, right. Well, I'm so glad because I thought it was like Japanese government funded or something, but locally people want to discover more about Japanese food. So this is exciting. And uh, I mean, Doki Doki means your heart is pump- pumping for excitement. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, so does that happen in August every year? I think it depends on the season, actually. Sometimes it is in August, sometimes it is in September, but it's great that you get people from different walks of life. Uh, I remember going to it this year and I gave a talk about mental health and Japanese culture and how you can just apply quite basic principles, but there are also people who are talking about it from that wider pop culture and anime lens as well. And what is nice to see is that you you just get people from all walks of life really and to me it's about trying to you don't necessarily have to have gone to japan to actually appreciate the culture either it's trying to give it to people who don't really know much about it and try to break down perhaps any uh, existing stigmas or people who have only got a certain perception of a place mm, interesting Okay, and then um, another thing, uh, you are certified sake sommelier, and uh, that's exciting. So how do you study sake? Uh, Are there good local educators that you could go to? Yeah, indeed there are, and it combines with my interest with Yamato Magazine, that story. So I had a really great intro into the sake world in the sense that I I didn't really have any preconceived notions or anything about it. I I just didn't really know much about it. So I wanted to be able to write about it. I went to a tasting with a education program in Manchester called the Northern Wine School run by a gentleman called John Callow. He gave a great tasting that helped me learn more about it. And then that opened up the rabbit hole for me. So I started writing the reviews on the website, reading books, and then a nice full circle moment. John actually ended up being my educator with the Certified Sake Simulation uh, program. And then that's where I started that. I also this year completed the International Kiki Sakeshi mm. program to include the more sales-based and the marketing side, which also dovetails quite nicely into my interest in in marketing and copywriting for drink brands. Mm, right. Well, actually, I looked up uh, uh, Mr. John Kello, uh, who's uh, uh, leading that Northern Wine School. So he's really like wine expert, and he expanded to sake, right? 
Correct, yes. So it's really interesting with John. He did start with that wine background, but what I have noticed, particularly on the Manchester Sake scene, is this is my personal opinion that we are flying the flag for the rest of the UK, really, because traditionally a lot of the sake stuff is focused in London, but it's great to see it expanding out slowly. You've got places in Birmingham as well who are doing great things, but as I look at myself as an ambassador of the city in the sense that it's great just to tell people what's going on in the sake world in the north and try to further connections in different ways. Mm, right. So, well, this sounds like, you know, uh, you have Chinatown where people like get exposed to, uh, you know, like Asian food culture. But how popular is Japanese sake in Manchester? This is like a <laughs> very uh, big question, but uh, do you see sake at many places like retail shops or how um, ubiquitous is sake? Yeah, I see it's steady growth, honestly, because we still do need to do a lot more education, same as London, but some great places that I would always recommend is a place called The Sparrows, which is run by a, a powerhouse of a lady called Cassia. Quite a unique concept. It's Tyrolean Polish food with sake as a sake bottle shop there. Also going to open up a dedicated sake bar soon where more tastings can take place, but that is a space that is leading the charge. We've also got more of a combination-based approach, which I have found in the sense that there will always be some a different cultural-led food and the sake is paired with it. There's a place called Peter Street Kitchen, which, which does a great Mexican menu paired with Japanese drinks. There's also a great Pan-Asian restaurant as well called Nami, which is combining really high-end Asian dishes with sake and shochu as a pairing as well. But as we develop, I would love to see more standalone sake concepts. And an idea that I would really love in the future is if we could have some sort of UK sake scene where people from up south and up north just get together and just try to celebrate the, the growing need and the innovation that is going on around the scene. Mm, right. Well, that's really fascinating. Actually, I looked at, you know, the uh, the sparrows and uh, it's uh, run by a um, Polish lady and uh, it's they're, they're, it's basically a European dumpling shop, right? So I don't know how, do you know how uh, the owner, uh, Kasia Hitchcock, got that's into right. sake? Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's amazing uh, selection of her online shop I saw, but then it's a like totally dumpling shop in European style. So do you know the origin of her interest in sake? Yeah, so I believe that she spent a lot of time working in London and then she wanted to set up on her own for different reasons. And you are right, it is such like a unique concept, isn't it, with that European-led food approach. And then the sake just pairs so well with it. And to me, I, I love that cultural crossover really, because to me, that is how you bring the best aspects of East and West together and tell like a unique story because I believe with Cassia, she's very proud of her heritage and she likes to bring that in to just elevate the category in her own unique way. Mm, right. Well, and you also mentioned that the Mexican and Japanese and I, I'm completely um, amazed by the this open-mindedness and maybe because it's in Manchester, you don't have any like traditional um, 
educated approach, like a Japanese food, the chef comes here, you have to drink this way, that way. But in Manchester, there's more freedom. People get creative and just enjoy delicious pairings. And I really found it very exciting. And in fact, I uh, I got lucky to have a dinner at a special dinner, joint uh, dinner coordinated by the Italian embassy and a Japanese embassy near New York. And they served sake and wine for each course. And surprisingly, they sometimes Italian food goes well better with sake and vice versa. So, yeah, this is exciting. And I hope I can just get to this, um, you know, the Kasia Hitchcock's because the sparrows and then try some sake with the, her spatzel and some European dumplings. Oh, yeah, highly recommended. It's really great food. Right. Okay. So, um, and based on your certification and experience living in Manchester, do you have a sense of what type of sake is popular and how people are drinking it? I think, again, to lend to your point, it's just that open-mindedness because to me it's just still that general education of saying sake is something that is highly versatile and it's just calibrating it to local tastes and particularly around wine because I find wine is quite a big selling point in the city and towards my personal taste I, I'm quite diverse I do like the drier style sometimes but the sweeter styles whereas generally I think people just need to be led across to something that really calibrates to their own taste and something that I would love to see in the future as well is to have some kind of Manchester-based or northern-based sake brewery because there are a lot down south, which is amazing, but it's always great to see things on a local level as well, if possible. Mm, right. Um, do you have any other good retail shops than uh, the sparrows that you can get the sake you feel like drinking? So there's an interesting concept coming up called Three Monkeys, which I'm not sure has an opening date yet, but I do believe that that is going to have another type of sake retail experience as well. But it's just really great to see this steady growth because even when I first started writing Yamato magazine three, four years ago, the the growth, we've, we've had like a, just a boom of Japanese restaurants and these concepts anyway. So we're getting there. It's just, you know, championing it day by day. Mm, right. Yeah. It's um, And also I think I really respect um, the United Kingdom because that's the country who kind of supported the French wine culture, I heard. And uh, without British, um, the French wine industry probably didn't thrive like now. And also, you know, it's the home of scotch and also great beer, not to mention. So there's a very, very interesting drinking culture in England or the UK. So, yeah, I'm very curious how sake is going to be, um, you know, taking what kind of direction but hopefully in a, in a bigger, better place to be drinking sake. Um, yeah, but do you have any uh, industry friends, the gather friends to hang out and then talk about sake in your community? So I did mention John before. He's a great guy to chat to, Cassia as well. But further afield, I always, always like to chat to sake retail as well. In the pandemic, I did a great online tasting with the founder of Sorokami, uh, Robin Sola. He, he's a, somebody I'd always recommend checking out. I am just going <laughs> to signal boost as many 
organizations in the UK that I can think of. You've got Tengu Sake with Oli, you've got Satomi who runs the international Kiki Sakeshi course. So this this is great. It's like as I said, the I think we are getting to a place where London and the North are slowly getting together now. It's just constant communication that is the key. Mm. So the distribution is good uh, in terms of like, you know, the bear like the brands that you want to drink are fairly easily available. I would say so, yes. I mean, purely off the top of my head, a, a brand that really got me into sake generally is a, a Kashi Thai. And where I think they are doing very well is because they have a very striking logo. The story behind it is very easy to understand. And the the bottle labels are always in English. So it's just that very like wine-led approach where the ingredients are straight up front and from a branding and a marketing perspective, I just find that fascinating because the story is key to getting across the ingredients and why people should drink it. And I think certainly a trend I would love to see continue in the sake industry is having more of that narrative-led approach where you can break down topics that, you know, in this industry might not seem complicated, but to the general consumer is just having that educational lead point first through the copy on a label or even on a menu where the, the story tells the ingredients. Mm, right. And uh, like, for instance, in New York, uh, almost every liquor shop I go to, I see one or two sake labels, um, like in the last decade or two. So do you have that kind of same scenes you can see in, in, in Manchester? I think it's indicative of all of the UK, really. Um, it's not just in Manchester. London is doing a great job of having the labels translated more into English as well. So that is just a trend I'd love to see continue. Mm, right. So I feel very hopeful. <laughs> so, but how do you foresee the future of Japanese like in Manchester in like three, five, ten years? Oh, that is a good question. I mean, as I said, I, I would love to see some sort of brewery concept develop someday. I just think it's still the educational standpoint as well, having a couple of dedicated bars that get some good reputations. Uh, we do have what I do love about Manchester is we're all very collaborative and um, there's a very famous gentleman called Sasha Lord who's been in the UK Manchester hospitality scene for a long time and he's very open to new concepts and I think it's really reaching out to these key figures who probably have a lot of sway on a local level and who can actually try to champion these particular categories in a very down-to-earth way as well. Mm, right. Um, so what do you think uh, should happen for a Japanese sake to be enjoyed even more widely, hopefully, uh, like places like Manchester? Any, do you have any suggestions for sake breweries and distributors? I mean, I'm always a fan of seeing things on tap, really. Um, I've, I've never had sake on tap personally, but that would probably really go well down in Manchester because we are a very uh, pub, family-orientated kind of environment. And I think from a, 
a selling standpoint, that could be quite appealing and that would certainly appeal to a certain demographic, but equally having uh, a lot of different tasting events as well that might, might not necessarily just be about sake. If you can compare it to some kind of football event, for example, that would mm. go down well in the city as well because obviously it's tapping into that local law that Manchester is associated with or with the Manchester music scene as well, but further afield, I think just from that psychology point of view, it's trying to look at the history of a particular location and seeing how you could weave that story into, into sake and just have that combination of pairings, whether it's with the food or if it is with that wider narrative. Mm, yeah, I want to see it and then, you know, the football game of Manchester United <laughs> serving Saki on top. That'll be exciting. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it, I am, uh, it's kind of sounds like a joke, but I think that's the way to go, right? Because it's the culture people drink, it's a tap. And uh, it's just a feeling of celebrating something and then enjoying the taste, that's the style. So we all have to localize the mindset. When we enjoy something like, especially alcohol, alcoholic beverages, they have some, you know, there's ambient stories behind it and that makes everything different. So, yeah, uh, maybe we'll see that in, I don't know, like five years, I hope. Yeah, I, I would be with you, Akiko, on that because it is that mindset thing, certainly. If you can just sometimes forget about the labeling or the bottling and then just say, you know, I can have sake from a tap. Imagine how cool that would be where it's just, it doesn't even, you don't even have to think about it. It's just like an accepted thing on that same level with beer. And also sustainable. <laughs> so no bottling, no labeling, just a tap and then people just to share it. So very sustainable way to transport too. So, and also I'm, I'm curious that you are also into awamori, right? Which is uh, Okinawa's local uh, shoju. So, I mean, I shouldn't say shochu, but shochu style, different uh, distilled alcohol. So why do you like awamori? Yeah, it's really interesting because I just love really unique flavors. And in relation to sake as well, I'm also interested in raising awareness of shochu and awamori. And I did develop a couple of free resources that are available on Yamato magazine, just as a beginner's guide if people are interested. But again, to me, it's that it's the story of that culture because obviously Okinawa is it's, it has it's got its own unique culture away from Japan, and to me, Awamori is the champion of taking that culture further afield. Right. So, well, hopefully, you can now travel to Japan, and then you can stretch uh, your trip to Okinawa. Um, all right. So you have a lot going on in your life. So, what are your plans and dreams? Oh, too too many to name for just this podcast, but off the top of my head, <laughs> <laughs> off the top of my head, I would love to continue to run sake tasting events in Manchester and on a local, uh, well, local level and on a further a field level as well, just for my own education. Also continuing my creative projects within the sake industry. My day-to-day -day job is as a marketer and a copywriter, and I am focused on helping Japanese-inspired brands share their story and their communication through the written word. And something I can't really dive too much into at the moment, but I'm focusing on another big creative project that will again have sake in there that will be a good educational resource as well. 
So it's just changing hearts and minds through sake one bottle at a time. Mm. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. So, so do you work with sake breweries for tasting events? So I tend to do one-to-one tastings at the moment in an online environment. But as I continue to develop in the industry, that's something that I would love to look more into. Mm. Right. So sounds like maybe it's time for you to go to Japan. And uh, you may not come back, though, I have a sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, will, that will be very dangerous when I finally touch down. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, where, where can we find your updates online and on social media and also find the Yamato Magazine? Yeah, indeed. So you can reach me at yamatomagazine.home.blog to see all the Japanese content and projects that I'm doing. I also run a Substack newsletter called Drink to That, which is more of a general newsletter where it's celebrating categories from all over the world as well. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Jamie Ryder and the social handles are Yamato Magazine on Instagram. Great. All right. So I am excited so excited about what you're doing and what's happening actually in Manchester, which is, I think it's a very free way to develop sake culture. And uh, I'm just curious, when I get a chance, I want to come and visit you to share some sake. I look forward to that day, Akiko. Right, great. So, well, so thank you so much for joining us today, Jamie. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, I just love the concept of the podcast. It's just great to hear so many diverse voices in this community and championing different cultures from all over the world. Hey, well, thank you so much. So, uh, so listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics for guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or akikotema.com. Japanese is a weekly program and it's always available at heritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Armin Spenjan, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Japan Eats is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.